Hey there, Boo. Hi, Daddy. I would say that we've known each other for a while. That would be a very safe thing to say, yes. And we've probably known each other longer than we've known each other. That is also a very accurate thing to say, yes. This episode is all about knowing. Knowing. In a certain sense of the word. Knowing someone in a biblical sense? Exactly. (sighs) That's why we've known each other longer than we've actually known each other, because we knew each other for quite a number of years before we actually knew knew each each other. other. Oh, I see what you did there. Quite clever. Quite clever. Right? Right? This episode is all about sex and the Bible. (gasps) No way. Yeah. It all came about because we were talking to Goddess Soma not too long ago. And she mentioned that when she was younger, she used to read the Bible and get a little turned on. I cannot help but believe that Goddess Soma is not the first person who turned to the Bible and found it arousing. There are some quite erotic things going on in there that nobody likes to talk about. You don't really hear about them in church. They don't talk to you about them in Sunday school. There's a lot of smut in the Bible. It's dirty. Yeah. Thankfully, you have us and our dirty little minds to talk about it. (laughs) Because long before there was the government telling you what you could and could not do with your bodies and your genitals, there was religion. You're not going to hate man. (laughs) The whole basis of the Judeo-Christian religion is all about shame. And you know what they found is that shame is a better way to control people than the risk of punishment. Correct. They did studies with college students where they decided to go to a dry campus, and I'll link to these studies on the website, what they found was societal and social shame was more of a deterrent to keep these kids from drinking on college campuses than the risk of legal punishment. Interesting. Knowing what I know of how the human brain works, I could see why that would be effective. Yeah. Because shame has been used for so many years as a form of punishment, and as a form of control in society. Right here in San Francisco, there was a case, the U.S. versus German Terra. This boy was found guilty of stealing mail. And his punishment, they decided, and this went to court to decide if this was cruel and unusual, and they ruled that no, the judge could actually sentence the boy to do this, was... He had to stand outside a post office with, with, a sign. with a sandwich board saying, I stole mail. And they've found that these sort of shame punishments are more effective than imprisonment. They don't shame the, the person. They, they shame the crime. And if you shame a person publicly in this way, their recidivism rate is extremely less than if you just lock them up and make them try and feel guilty for what they've done. That that societal shaming is so much stronger than any sort of guilt that we could put upon ourselves because I got caught and now I'm in prison. If you actually shame somebody, it's a lot easier to get them to do what you want them to do. 
It wouldn't work with psychopaths, though. They have no sense of shame. No, we have no sense of shame. The Bible is all about shame. Full of shame. And what kind of shame? Sexual shame. And lots of foreskins. Yeah, we'll get to the foreskins later on and what the deal with the foreskins is. The shame starts right at the very beginning in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 9. Yahweh God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The man said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God says, how did you know you were naked? And then he finds out they ate from the forbidden tree, and that's how they cast out. That's the original sin that every person is guilty of, is that they found out they were naked and ashamed. So what kind of God sets you up to fail? Here I am, I've created you in my likeness. You're living in this perfect paradise. Everything's amazing. The only thing, the only instruction I give you, the one caveat is, do you see that tree over there? Don't eat of its fruit. Do you put a moat around it? Do you put razor spikes, barbed wire? No, it's like telling a five-year-old not to stick peas up their nose. The first thing they're going to do is stick peas I up their nose. I want to stick peas up my nose. Well, it, it, the second that something is forbidden, it becomes infinitely more appealing. Well, why wouldn't God want them to know about being naked or sex or anything? He tells them to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Are they supposed to multiply on an abacus or are they supposed to get down? They would have to know if they were going to be fruitful and multiply. The way I see that story is an allegory for adolescence, that Adam and Eve were kids, they were innocent, they were living in this utopian place in the Garden of Eden, just like little kids are, everybody takes care of them, God's their father, and he gives them stuff to eat. And then they reach this point where they go through puberty, and all of a sudden their bodies are changing, they're becoming ashamed, they're locking the bathroom door, wait, God, I'm in here taking a dump, I don't want you to come in, Mm -hmm. and that's when they get kicked out of God's house and they start becoming uppity teenagers. There's nothing worse than an uppity teenager. They're ungrateful. They don't listen. That's the knowledge. That's the wonderful knowledge that they're imparted upon them by the serpent. Hey, kids, you're naked. Go out and get a job. I kind of feel that God spends a lot of time setting humans up to fail. He, He does. And... He often changes his mind about Very things that he wants. arbitrarily, yes. No, it's like God is a is a, a homicidal, bipolar dude with an obsession on foreskins. Oh, yeah. And big dicks. But before we get to that, I wanted to just check in with you about what your experiences with religion have been. I've talked about it before. Um, I have definitely had an unusual exposure to religion, and I think that it is something that makes me somewhat cynical. It's definitely made me very wary of people trying to have authority over me and telling me the right and wrong things to do. Both of us were... We were both raised in religious cults when we were mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those weird things we have in common. We have a lot of things in common. Yeah. And we are both extremely interested in religion, not just Christianity, Judaism. That tends to be the main driving religion in the U.S. and our culture that we live in. But I also really am interested in other world religions and have studied them and find really interesting things and how they explain the human condition. Mm -hmm. I know that you are really into religious play. That gives you a huge boner. It 
does. And it is for me, it's not just enough to, to have the kink, to have the inclination. I'm really curious in trying to track it down. And one of my favorite stories that I use is I saw an interview with Robert Crumb. He was tracking down where he got his fetish for women in knee-high boots. I got very curious to try and examine my own inner workings. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out where my Catholic fetish came from. On either side, my mother and father's family, no Catholics that I'm aware of. I have no idea why Catholicism has such a, a strong sexual pull to me, but the idea of nuns and convents all fucking each other and sinning and, and going into church and laying open a Bible and like fucking on top of the Bible and it's really very potent. I've not been able to track down why it's there. And at this point, I just have to accept it is a fetish. But Catholicism... Is it because of the repression? Um, Maybe because I know the religious cult you grew up in wasn't Christian at all. It was more of a spiritual Buddhist type cult. And they weren't interested in sexuality at all. That was kind of shunned in your cult. So I don't know if it had anything to do with the repression of the church. And there's a, a certain denial that people that get involved in the church have when you're a priest, when you're a nun, and you shun that sexual side of yourself, that there's that built up repression. And so it has to explode in some way. It's the imagery for me. It's like, you know, why don't I have a, a Protestant fetish? Why don't I have a Judaism fetish? Why don't I have a, a Buddhism fetish? It's very pronounced Catholicism for me. It's the imagery of the, of the nuns and the stained glass windows and them doing naughty things in the convent. And I've done a lot of nun play and religious play and Bible play over the years. I used to do cam shows, and one of my favorite people that I had come in, his fetish was very specific. He wanted me to dress as a nun and quote John 3.16. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I would quote that while masturbating, and I would rip off pieces of the Bible and shove them in my pussy. It was so hot. It was really hot. Yeah, I... I you didn't get paper cuts? I think I was turned on enough that I couldn't get... Well, I'm sure that you would soak right through it because usually the tissue paper that the Bible is printed on... It's fairly, just, it's it fairly just, gossamer. Yeah, and I was probably decomposed pretty fast. And I there. was legitimately... Well, no, you would think. I actually had a somewhat sturdier Bible. I still didn't get paper cuts because I was super turned on. But I once did the John 316 thing and did the rest of my cam show and it was a three-hour show. And I'd actually forgotten that I had the... Bible still in me. And when my show was over, I went to go to the bathroom and I was rustling and I couldn't figure out where the rustling sound was coming from. It was kind of driving me crazy. And I sat down to pee and I realized the rustling sound was coming from me. And I reached inside me and fished out soaked pieces of the Bible that had been marinating inside my pussy for a couple hours. I'd just forgotten they were there. So you could literally say that you felt the word of the Lord. Oh, yes. In a deep and biblical sense. Would you say that you are religious? No, but I am spiritual. What does that mean? Well, look, Mr. Cynic Pants. Here's the thing, is that I believe that there are higher powers. I believe that there are things out there that I, with my 
human brain can't possibly understand. I believe that religion has been used as a tool of oppression throughout all of humanity, and I'm not a fan of organized religion. You don't believe in the monotheistic Judeo-Christian God or any of that? No, but I think that there are higher powers out there that we can't even be aware of. We lack the comprehension. But I think that there's something more out there. You and I have had a lot of debates about what happens when we shuffle off this mortal coil, and we tend not to view it in a similar way. You're more cynical than I am. It's hard to answer, am I spiritual? I am, but I don't even really know what that means. I I don't think I'm so much cynical as I am more of a skeptical realist. Anything that can't be proven scientifically and be measured and examined shouldn't be something that you want to necessarily believe in. A skeptical realist is a fancier way of saying cynic. What about you? What about me? (laughs) I know you're a brat. Are you religious? I would identify as an atheist, but I really agree with Sam Harris on the point that I don't think that atheist should even be a word. Our use of this term atheism is a mistake, and it's a mistake of some consequence. I think it is a word we fundamentally do not need, in the same way that we don't need a word for someone who rejects astrology. We simply are not tempted to call people non-astrologers. If you're saying you're an atheist, you're saying that theist... Basically, somebody that believes in God is going to be your default thought process. So therefore, I don't believe in the default. I don't go around saying, I don't believe in alchemy. I identify as a non-alchemy believing person. That sounds like a lot of smug intellectual masturbating you're doing over there. No, it's just buying into the idea that the religion is correct and you're disagreeing with the religion that to prove to you. I'm basically saying... Religion is completely incorrect, and they have to prove that their religion is true in order for me to actually believe in it. I would say that I am the default rational person, not an atheist, just rational. You are very rational. It's something I appreciate about you. And I have had lots of interesting experiences with religion. I grew up in one of the most hippie towns you could possibly imagine, and I had the most new age, granola crunching mom and dad who met each other in this new age religious cult. My mom was a nutritionist, was way ahead of the times back in the 80s with all the health craze and everything. But yet, even though they were kind of pagan and into all this new age religious mumbo jumbo, they decided to send me to Catholic school. Yeah, what's up with that? They just thought they had a better education than anybody else. I was never baptized, but I had to go to church every Friday and I had to sit there and watch all the other kids in my class go through First Communion. But since I wasn't Catholic, I just sat in the pews and pretended there were superheroes in the walls. Were any of those priests being inappropriate? Not that I know of. Okay. Maybe they were just not being inappropriate with you. Well, they never touched me. Right, right. Well, but we're not going to get into that in this podcast. Maybe, maybe you weren't that's pretty a whole enough. Another thing. Oh, really? I just wasn't pretty enough. It's like, that's that's what it is. You're so ugly, you wouldn't even get molested. Even a child molester wouldn't touch you. You're so ugly. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> I think we pretty much covered our early experiences with religion. I'm ready to get into the meat and potatoes of this, if you are. The twig and berries? Sure, the twig and berries. I want to remind everybody that if you have questions for the podcast or want to reach out and give us some feedback on what we're doing, 
say hello. I don't know. We're not going to answer the phone because we've been getting some people calling in and saying, hey, call me back. We don't do that. But you can call in and just tell us what's on your mind. And that phone number is... 614-733-4739. Again, that's 614-733-4739. Or for the layman, it is 614-R-DeGray. So we do get people calling in all the time, frequently. They either don't leave messages or the only message is, call me back. That's not how this line works. Just to let you know, if you call, I'm not going to be picking up and I don't call back. Sorry. So let's go get into some of our favorite passages from the Bible. You're ready to get your feet wet with some Bible jizz? (laughs) Yes, I am. All right, we'll be back right after this. sexy biblical shit you got for us i have genesis eighteen twenty-two. the story of lot it's a lovely story full of gang rape and incest and successfully out bargaining with an infallible god and this happens to be my favorite passage from the bible but you've stolen it from I did, me i did i totally because i it. read this to you now here's a little backstory here's a little inside info lay it on me you and I are both poly. Correct. I have a daughter. You do. And a wife, and I live in my house with them. And when we started seeing each other, we were trying to be very respectful of everybody. And I think that when you are poly and you do have children, you need to slow down and take time before you introduce the kids to your significant others. The BDSM porn star you're fucking? Yes, I was being polite. That's very polite. You don't want random porn stars just traipsing in and out of your child's life. No, no, no. So we have boundaries around that. And you didn't meet my daughter for quite a long time after we started Um, seeing each other. Almost a year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is something my wife and I came up with just because you want to make sure that it's going to be a long-term relationship. You don't want random people coming in and out of your kids' lives and having them get attached and then them being gone a few months later. Right. So while we were wooing each other and in our honeymoon phase, we would often go get hotel rooms and we'd see each other maybe a couple times a month. Now you come and stay at my house three days a week, right? but we would only be able to see each other for a long period of time, a couple times a month. And we'd go and get hotel rooms and every hotel room, thankfully comes with a Bible. Thank you, Gideons. And we would sometimes break out that old Bible and have some fun with it. And sometimes I'd fuck you on top of the Bible. Sometimes you did, you did. Suck my dick while I would read passages from it. Oh, you're such a romantic. And one time I read you my favorite Bible passage, which was the story of Lot. I've totally appropriated it. I know. You liked it so much that a day later, (laughs) I noticed that you had posted something on FetLife. Yeah. (laughs) And then you completely forgotten that I read it to you. Well, I have a bad memory. I know. You have an atrocious memory. But thank you for giving me what is now my favorite story out of the Bible. Yeah, you're welcome. So (laughs) you get to to take Lot from me. Have at it. God says to Abraham, I am the Lord thy God, and I will smite that town of sinners. 
dick move, God. Yeah, God, what the fuck? Come on now. And Abraham says... Well, far be it for me to argue with you, God, about that smiting and stuff, but let's say, let's say you found 50 good people down there. Would you still burn that town? And God says... Well, I suppose 50. Way to haggle there, Abraham. Okay, well, well, it's not my place to talk to you or anything, Lord, but, but think about it. What about, what about 40? Or, well, yeah, well... Well, how about like 30? Okay. Well, sure. Well, then... Or what about 10? Or I guess... Fine. Thus we learned that God can be easily out-negotiated, and Abraham is the sort of man you would want on your side when you're buying a new car. God sends two angels down to Sodom to have them check out the town. When the angels run into Lot, Lot invites him into his house to spend the night. Strangers, come, stay at my house. Wash your feet and slumber the night. Nah, we're good. We're just going to crash in the town square. Says the angels. No, I beseech you. You really don't want to be out after sundown. I really have to insist you spend the night at my house. Hey, you guys aren't from around here, are you? (laughs) You have no idea what sleeping the night in the town square entails. And the angels are like, okay, fine. If you insist, we will not spend the night in town square. We'll come to your house. Lot gets the two dudes settled in his house. And before you know it, the entire male population of the town surrounds Lot's house, starts banging on the door. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Insisting he bring out the two strangers so that they can know them. Yeah, bring those guys out. We want to know them like you know them. Like know them. And when you know someone in the biblical sense... We're talking about the old in and out. Is that a door hinge? Is that a squeaky? You need some oil on that thing? <laughs> Are you mocking me? We're trying to get through the story of Lot. Lot says, Please, I have two virgin daughters. Hymen's intact, untouched. I will send them out, and you can do with them what you will if you just but leave my guests be. You can gang rape my virgin daughters. I just don't want you to be touching the two men I met tonight. Yeah, these strangers. You know, just leave these guys alone. Don't bugger them. But you could totally do my young virgin daughters. No way, the crowd shouts. We don't want pussy. Pussy is bullshit. We want that strange ass handed over. Yeah, that strange, strange angel ass. This is when God and the angels realize there are no redeeming qualities whatsoever to the city of Sodom. Wait, except for Lot, because just, he's the he's the one good stand-up guy that they found. He's, he's an excellent host, yeah. Yeah, he's the one guy they're going to save. <laughs> they're like, fuck the rest of these buggers. The angels reveal themselves that they're angels and say to Lot, hey, just so you know, God is leveling this town. It's all going down. You need to get the fuck out of Dodge. Lot being a smart dude, realizes what's happening, packs up his wife, packs up his daughters. As you all know, the wife does not actually manage to make it out. She turns back, looks at the destruction. And turns into a pillar of... Salt. Mm, Salty woman, that one. (laughs) So we have two virgin daughters... A widow, and all the resources are gone, and they end up hanging out in a cave. 
Well, they think the whole world has been destroyed. As oh. far as they know, they're the last people alive on Earth. And they're held up in this cave with a lot of wine. That they, that <laughs> when they you're, found in when the you're cave? When you're fleeing the city. I don't know. I don't know if it's ever vats and vats explained of wine? in the Bible. But somehow they have a ton of wine in the cave. Obviously, when you leave your home, the first thing I grab is the liquor. Right. I don't know about you. Vast quantities of it, too. We're not talking a couple cupfuls. Like, they had a lot of fucking wine. Yeah. The one daughter says to the other, Our father is old, and there is no man around to give us children. Let's get Dad drunk, then sleep with him, and preserve our father's so life. So they got him shitty drunk, and then raped him. Well, the first one, first one, one night, one, and, then and then the then next the, night, they did the same, same thing, because guess he didn't remember. He was so drunk and passed out, he didn't remember... That the girls got him drunk and took advantage of him? If you're so drunk that you're passing out and then your daughter is raping you to get the semen out of your testicles, wouldn't you be so hungover that the next day you wouldn't want to? I mean, a hair of the dog that bit you. Let me do it again because I didn't learn my lesson the first time. I could imagine there's much else to do in their cave but get drunk. Get drunk and fuck? Get drunk and fuck your, well, they're not virgin daughters anymore. Not after you've gotten to know them in the biblical sense, Mm. but they both ended up pregnant. Yeah, Huzzah. and thankfully Lot's lineage, the Did wonderful, continue. wonderful, humane person that survived the smiting of Sodom was able to move on because he was such a giving, generous, stand-up person. I Yeah, generous, stand-up person. That's the story of Lot. What's the moral? God's a fucking sociopath? <laughs> um... Uh, the I don't know. The moral of the story is fucking rape the virgins, leave that ass alone. Oh, everybody, if they had taken the girls, right, everybody right. still be alive. So the moral of the story is don't bugger dudes, but gang rape virgins. Yep, save the city. Yeah, that's a really cheering moral. And now we know. And knowing is half the battle. This is a quick shout out to all of my Patreon supporters. I am truly grateful and blown away by everyone that signs up to support me. If you become a patron supporter, you actually get a whole bunch of cool rewards, including stickers, headshots, shoutouts on my website, early access to the podcast, early access to the advice column. And we are happy to introduce that we are going to start doing new mini podcast episodes called Dirty Talk After Hours. That will be available exclusively to my Patreon supporters. Yeah, they're going to be completely unscripted and more in-depth and more personal than what is usually happening with the podcast. So if you enjoy hearing us talk and you want exclusive access to even more content, go to patreon.com backslash Gray. Or you can go to com, and there are links all over the place on the page to quickly and easily go to Patreon, sign up, and become a member. Thank you for all of your support. My Bible story was a heartening rendition of virgin gang rape and incest. What do you have for me? I got dick, Bible dick for you. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Go on. The Bible is heavy with penis. Heavy and swollen? Heavy, swollen, engorged. The Bible is completely engorged with dick. God, for some reason, is really obsessed with dick. Not just the foreskins and everything like that, but just the size, 
the load that the dick delivers. Don't believe me. I've got proof right here. What's your proof? First story I got for you comes from Exodus 4.25. Exodus 4.25. You shall tell Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, Israel is my son, my firstborn, and I have said to you, let my son go, that he may serve me, and you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. The very next line says, It happened on the way at a lodging place that Yahweh met Moses and wanted to kill him. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet. And she said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. Then she said, You are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Wait, 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 wait. So God sends Moses back to Egypt, and then when Moses goes on his way, God decides out of nowhere he's going to kill Moses. Yeah, Moses stops for the night, sets camp, and then God comes. I figure if God's going to want to kill somebody, you just kill him. I don't think, is he going to try and sneak into his tent at night and kill Moses in his sleep? That's not the way God does it. When God kills somebody, he has to do it on a large scale, right? God don't scamp on the smiting. But somehow... God is pleased when the wife comes in, cuts off the kid's foreskin, touches Moses' feet with it, and then God's like, oh, sorry, my bad. (laughs) I'm sending you on a mission, and in the middle of your mission, I decided I'm going to kill you, and then the only thing that saves you from me killing you on the mission I've sent you on is for you to hack off a piece of your infant son's dick, and your wife rubs it on your feet. Yep, and that's why I've learned to always keep a piece of infant foreskin in my wallet just in case I am ever accosted by an angry god. Then you can just start rubbing it Rub on it on my feet. And, and everything. Every, oh, whoa. Sorry, buddy. Didn't realize. We're cool. I had no idea foreskin was so powerful. God is really obsessed with foreskins. I actually wonder if God has a foreskin himself. Supposedly, man is made in the image of God. Right. So is he made in the complete image of God? skin and all. And if that was the case, Adam would have had a foreskin because it wasn't until, I believe, Abraham that they made the pact with God to start cutting off the foreskin and that was going to mark the chosen people. That was their covenant with God because God really likes clean cut dick. I've got an issue with this because I'm not circumcised. So I cannot enter. You're not one of God's chosen few. I am not one of God's chosen few. I cannot enter a covenant with God unless I genitally mutilate myself god is obsessed with dick wow yeah it's not just that in deuteronomy 23 1 dude yeah i know whenever i hear deuteronomy i always think of keanu reeves in bill and ted's saying deuteronomy oh that's bitching man that's fucking deuteronomy that's the way i hear it in my head in deuteronomy 23.1 Deuteronomy 23.1 He who is wounded in the stones or has his private member cut off shall not enter into the assembly of Yahweh. Another translation of that in the New Living Translation of the Bible says If a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off he may not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. 
So you don't get to go to heaven if you have a bad accident that gives you crushed testicles. No. And what gets me is that this is Deuteronomy 23.1. So this is the first line in Deuteronomy 23, which lays out what you have to do to be able to enter into this assembly congregation covenant with the Lord. And the very first stipulation, you got to have intact junk because God don't want nobody who's got busted balls. You don't get into heaven with busted balls. No, no. No, no God, God wants you clean cut and whole. God really is hyper fixated on junk, isn't he? God don't want nobody who's got broken dick. He's why does God need to have so much working dick around him? Mm-hmm. And did you know that God's a little bit of a size queen? How is God a size queen? In Ezekiel 23, God's telling Ezekiel about some stuff that he's witnessed. Ezekiel 23, 1. Yahweh's word came again to me, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. They played the prostitute in Egypt. They played the prostitute in their youth. Their breasts were fundled there and their youthful nipples were caressed there. He's coming to Ezekiel. Basically, all of Ezekiel is him having these conversations with God, and it seems like it's a drunken bar conversation with God because God's saying, oh, let me tell you this one time, you know, of all the people on earth, there was just two girls, right? And they... Super slutty sisters. I just remember these two girls from back in Egypt times, and they were fucking prostituted up like no one's business. And God goes on to tell Ezekiel... Ezekiel 23... 18. So she uncovered her prostitution and uncovered her nakedness. Then my soul was alienated from her, just like my soul was alienated from her sister. Yet she multiplied her prostitution, remembering the days of her youth, in which she had played the prostitute in the land of Egypt. She lusted after their lovers, whose flesh is as the flesh of donkeys, and whose issue is like the issue of horses. Why does God need to add into the story? Yeah, there's these two girls that I remember way back in the day, and they used to get really down and dirty, and they prostituted themselves. By the way, these guys had huge fucking dicks, and were shooting these massive loads. Wow. God remembers some strange thing. Maybe, do you think God had some penis envy there? It kind of sounds like he does. I don't know why he's so hung up that these guys that he has to put into the story. Yeah, by the way, they had these big old fucking donkey dicks. Well, so but he's fixated on big old donkey dicks and slutty sisters, and when he arbitrarily decides to kill someone, you can bypass his wrath by rubbing freshly cut infant, infant dick foreskin on on your feet. Yep, God's got a very interesting relationship with penis. God is, but it's not just God. The whole Bible has a very interesting relationship with penis and foreskins. You know the story of David. I'm familiar with it. David fought Goliath and. Right. He went on and became a great warrior and eventually became King David, of course. But mm-hmm. before he became King David, he married Saul's daughter. He approached Saul and wanted to marry his daughter and become his son-in-law, and Saul was the king. Mm-hmm. Saul didn't want any of this, and he said to David through his servants, went and said to David, okay, here is the fee that you have to pay. The dowry. The dowry that you have to pay if you want to marry Saul's daughter. Saul says, you got to go to the Philistines 
and bring him back 100 foreskins from the Philistines. Oh, that's an unusual dowry requirement. Essentially what Saul was saying is he wants to have David fight the Philistines and he's hoping the Philistines are going to take out David and that he's not going to have to worry about mm-hmm. having him as a son-in-law. However, David one-ups him. David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. David's like, dude, you want fucking 100 dicks? I'm going to bring you 200 dicks. How about that, bitch? And they didn't really have great preservation. Did they salt the foreskins? How did they stop them from <laughs> rotting? Foreskin? Like, If you're carrying around well, live in 200 the foreskins... What, they're freshly severed. And that's a pretty stinky bundle. Right? Uh, what I love about that passage is they, they specifically say they counted out the full number to the king. Right? So they're sitting there. They bring in the sack of foreskins. They're like, yo, one, king. One. Two. <laughs> yeah, it's two. You got that? Here's one more. Look at that. Three there, buddy. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. <laughs> How many more foreskins do you want? Oh, look. Here's another ten. <laughs> so it wasn't just enough to be like, here, I brought you the sack of foreskin. We're going to count this. You're going to sit right down there. I'm going to fucking count out this bag of foreskins to you. Wow. So what have we learned today? What's the moral of this story? God's a dick-obsessed size queen? Yes. And always carry infant foreskin on you. Yeah, yeah. Don't let anything happen to your dick or you won't get into heaven. I wonder if St. Peter checks it at the gate. <laughs> like, welcome to heaven, son. Drop trowel. Inspection time. That does it for our sexy, sultry Bible verse for today. Why don't you tell us a little something about who we got coming up in your interview? Today's guest is Goddess Soma, also known as Soma Snake Oil. I've known her for closing on probably around eight years. She is an artist, a writer, an activist. She was a pro-dom. I met her through the BDSM industry. She did uh, amazing work as a strong female dominant. These days, she has started the Sidewalk Project. She's an advocate for sex workers, and she is very involved in advocating for drug users as she is a former user herself. I find her really inspiring and articulate and very passionate about the work and art that she creates. And I am honored to have her join us today. Goddess Soma, can you say hi to all of our listeners out there? Hey, I'm stoked to be with you today. And uh, that was quite an intro. (laughs) (laughs) I say say what I believe. And I have a thing for badass women that are kicking ass and taking names. And you happen to be one of them. For our listeners, could you do uh, an introduction and kind of describe yourself and how you got to where you are today? So Goddess Soma, also known as Soma Snake Oil, that's kind of what I go by these days. I 
was formerly a lifestyle and professional pro dom and made films and did live performance art in um, the filthy categories, as we're, we're talking about. Um, BDSM was my primary art form for many years. Now I'm focusing primarily on visual art and activism. I do a lot of work for the sex worker community and also out on the street. I have a group called the Sidewalk Project. We are a social activist arts organization. We work directly on the street with the houseless community. Uh, we focus on art and music and community enrichment. I'm also a writer. My big project is Home Street Home, which is a musical. I've been working on that for a really long time with some pretty amazing collaborators. Uh, what else can I tell you? Um, so let's actually start at the beginning. When you said that you start you naughty things, that's kind of got my start as well. I feel that sexuality is a very powerful medium, and it is art. At what point when you were growing up did you first start to realize how powerful sexuality and sexual play spoke to you? Narrowing down what point is challenging because I think knowing when we become sexually empowered is that's a journey and I think it happens in stages it wouldn't be one thing it wouldn't be mm. one time I don't see an aha moment for <laughs> my sexuality or when I woke up and decided oh flesh is art and that's something that I have seen in you that I love and respect the way that you approach sexuality and the human form and sensuality as an art form and seeing that mirrored in other people and other women is so exciting um, because that's that's part of mm. creating a movement of, mm. you know sort of a revolution I think I think that there's something about internal experience and then taking that external so there were certain things that I had in my experience that were part of that evolution. And some of some of those things were, you could say, even had a little bit of a dark bent to it. And then as I grew and learned more and put words to my experience, then it sort of changed in flavor. And I, I think that's okay, too. Like, for example, masturbating with the Bible. Um, I love masturbating with the Bible. It's awesome. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a devoted Christian. For me, it was it was like devotional. I have told this story before, but while I'm praying and reading the Bible and then getting aroused, and I, you know, I haven't dug into why I was getting aroused during this spiritual experience, but, you know, and then using the edge of the Bible as my first sex toy wow. or one of first sex toys and then sort of feeling shame and guilt around this and this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing and then needing to punish myself so I'd take rubber bands and wrap them around my fingers really tight so that I would experience pain that's sort of beginning evolution of pain and pleasure and I, I can tell you you know 10 other examples of that evolution where it turned into art I think was a little bit 
later, probably late mm. my late teens. I would say with confidence that you are not the only person on this planet to have masturbated with a Bible, not just because it's me, but because when you start having that, the religious ecstasies of, of looking for a savior or a, a daddy figure, someone who knows what's going on that will serve and protect and care for you, it's very easy for that to start to veer over into a sexual energy. How do you reconcile the religious guilt that you felt around your sexuality? Is it a sauce you can put on top of it, or is it that something hard for you to juggle? It is something that I struggled with when I was younger, as a sort of young kinkster. It doesn't hurt me anymore. I don't carry the bruises. The one thing that is a challenge is that I come from a Christian missionary family, and they're still out there doing their work, and it's my parents and um, my <gasps> My uncle, my uncle owns one of the largest Christian missionary organizations, founded it. And so it's a big Christian family. And I'm not in a lot of contact with my family. But I think that my path must be painful for them. I, I don't communicate with them about it, but I can... I can only imagine that it doesn't feel good for them. And I don't ever wish suffering on anyone else. And it, and it's not like something that, well, let's just sit down and talk this through and we can work it out. And you're going to understand my way of living and thinking. You know, we've had a few conversations. My mother and I have had a few conversations and there's some understanding around my life, a little bit of healing, but, you know, I'm not going to be inviting my dad to an art show or so you know it's not it's just not going to happen so there's that but it's not something that i feel guilt around or shame you know mm -hmm. i'm going to live my life as i choose and as i love and i please because i want a meaningful life and this is what's meaningful to me here's here's the thing i consider you a missionary you just happen to be a missionary with floggers as opposed to a bible <laughs> You are healing people. You are taking them on a journey. You are inspiring people. You are letting people see a higher purpose. It's a perfectly valid way to do missionary work. You are saving people in your own way. Well, that was beautiful, first of all. Secondly, I think that's a really good point. It's really about community. Mm -hmm. and how do you get there? It, it really doesn't matter how you get there whether it's through art or religion or through sex. It's actually something that we talk about quite a bit through the Sidewalk Project is community enrichment and well-being. A big part of it is surrounding yourself with people who share that desire to um, have a positive outlook on life and wake up every day with, whether or not you feel good and have gratitude regardless of whether or not you have gratitude, I think that's a big, big part of it. And I think love hard, even <laughs> if you don't, even mm -hmm. if you don't feel the love, mm -hmm. I think, I, think I, I really think surrounding yourself with other people is 
a big part of it because I, I think isolation is what kills us. I think mm-hmm. isolation is a big part of depression and making it harder for ourselves. So I've been blessed, been blessed to have some really, really rad people in my life. Humans are definitely not meant to be isolated. There's a reason why solitary confinement is such a brutal punishment. People lose their minds in solitary confinement. Community is what makes this entire journey on this planet tolerable, bearable, and even enjoyable. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners in terms of where you can be reached, where you are on social media, your website, the projects you're doing, the stuff you're passionate about? How would people be able to track you down if they want to know more about you? You can find The Sidewalk Project at thesidewalkproject.org. And my Instagram is Soma Snake Oil. That's pretty much it. You can find all my projects through the, through those mediums. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciated it. It was great to get a chance to talk to you and catch up. It has been a while, but yeah. I, I internet stalk you all the time. So I'm keeping tabs on all the cool things you're doing. And I approve. Thank you. Likewise. <laughs> I appreciate you. I hope that you have a glorious day. You too. All right. Talk soon. Bye. That's a wrap for this episode of Dirty Talk. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for The Bible Was My First Sex Toy. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that Goddess Soma was able to join us and share her thoughts. And I really enjoyed doing a Bible breakdown with you. That was some fucked up shit. I know you love the Bible. We'll have to do some more Bible stuff later on. I'm sure there's plenty more fucked up, weird, kinky passages from the Bible that we can talk about. Perverts. I want to remind everyone to call in for questions for the podcast. 614-733-4739. That's 614-R-DeGray. And I want to remind people that the podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and we're also going to be posting episodes on YouTube. For however long that'll last before YouTube yanks us. We'll see. It's an experiment. Go to any of those places, follow us, rate us. And I also want to put out a challenge to everybody listening out there, if you made it this far, obviously you're enjoying the podcast because you made it to the end of this one. If you like it, go and tell one person about it. Spread the love. If you think there's somebody that you know that might enjoy what we're doing and love listening to us getting kind of perverted, tell them about it. Share one of the episodes on Facebook or Twitter or something. Just just go out there and spread it. We couldn't do this without you and word of mouth. So I'm challenging you. Go out and tell at least one person. That's a good challenge. I or like tell it. ten. Ooh, even better. I'm gonna I'm gonna haggle you up. <laughs> Not just one. I'm going how about fifty? Can I hear fifty? <laughs> Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next time. See you on the other side. So let it be written. So let it be done. <laughs>